Can you imagine that? Love so powerful that it's bursting into flames. Imagination is an important part of being a follower of Christ. Imagination often spreads itself like wings of a bird into a vision that calls people forward from the place where they are to the place where they are going. For the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6 this morning, we find these words. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the people's. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will, come, will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Please be seated. So I know what happened. Your children overran you with praise and thanksgiving at the sight of their gifts, right? I bet all of you that had teenagers were just almost bowled over by them coming and thanking you that you got everything on their list. Or if you didn't, Santa did. Got to cover yourself, you know. We would never mix up the gift with the giver, right? We would never become infatuated with the things that people give us that we, so that we love the things we receive more than we love the people who give it to us. And yet that is something we think about often at Christmas when we try to turn as a body of Christ, the followers of Jesus, the Son of God, from such a concentration upon the things of Christmas that we get and that we receive back to the one who is the giver of all the gifts that we have. Probably the church had a great advantage in its early days because the epiphany was that concentration upon the nativity, upon the incarnation of God becoming flesh and upon his baptism as opposed to the celebration of something that was so Uh, concentrated in the things of this world. We have a little bit of a harder job, and that is to reflect back what we know and understand about their faith so that those around us will be able to grasp the true meaning of Christmas. And it's not an easy task. But I think it's more than that for us today. It is the first Sunday in 2015. I am aware that I have been in your midst now for for some 18 months. I've shared with you with some struggles already, some sadness already, and rejoiced with you in the midst of some joys. I've been preaching several times and in many different ways about God calling us forward into the future 
At times, I know I've been hard to understand. And at times, I know you struggled probably with exactly what I was meaning. And yet, you still keep coming. Thank you for that. I'd like to tell you that there will be complete clarity from now and you won't have to worry about the struggle. But if I did that, I would not be telling you the truth. Because life on earth, as we experience it now, is about struggle. But it's about a certain kind of way that we approach our struggles as followers of Christ. We do not approach them as others do. Now, in the post-exilic days, the days when the nation of Israel, who had been scattered to Babylon and across the world, the known world to them at that time, as the exiles began to return to Jerusalem, they were something they'd been hoping and praying for for years finally came about after these many years in captivity. They could hardly wait to see home. Then they got there. (laughs) They didn't realize what had been going on in their absence. They didn't realize all that had been destroyed. They didn't realize that the rulers and powers in place were corrupt. They did not realize that the people had seemingly lost their faith in God. There was an apathy in the faith of the people who followed Jesus. Now, when they walked in upon all of that and began to discover what was there, their hopes of returning to the Israel they remembered were dashed. Jerusalem was no longer as it was, and they had to accept that. And like most human beings, when the things that we treasure and the things that holds our memories is destroyed, then we tend to get down. We tend to feel depressed about it. We tend to struggle in the midst of the struggles that we have in this world. And struggle is a normal attribute and experience for human beings. The key to struggle, however, on the earth for the followers of Christ is that we do not struggle as a people who have no hope, but rather we struggle as a people who have their eyes fixed upon the vision that it is reminded to us when we look upon our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior who came for us. You see, Isaiah had a vision of what God had planned for Jerusalem and for the people of God. He saw the restoration of Israel. And that vision was meant to give encouragement and hope to the children who were returning home. It was a vision that would cause them to feel hopeful again. It would call them to perceive and to participate in all the work of God that was going on in their midst. It would cause them, cause and effect, directly having this vision of hope to see beyond what was in front of them so they might celebrate who they really were and who they were becoming day by day rather than to simply dwell upon the mud and the mess they were in at the present. Now, in our life today, we struggle in those same kind of ways. It's not that our world is always uh, in the midst of waiting for restoration. There are many things that go on in our world that are great, that we enjoy, that we treasure, that we receive and with great joy. And after that joy is experienced, oftentimes it's short-lived. <laughs> you know, it just kind of comes and we're happy. We're happy the price of oil went down. Yay, cheap gas. And then the stocks went down too. Boo. You know, we like it both ways. We want a cake, we want to eat it too, right? 
But sometimes in the midst of our life, we're going to have these kind of struggles. And if we don't make up our mind about who we are and what it means to be a child of God, we can start acting like everyone else. And if I have a fuss, a gripe, a complaint, I can think of stronger words, but, you know, we don't say them every day in the pulpit, so I won't. My biggest about the church is that we act too much like everybody else. We have a problem and we act just like they do. Oh, woe is me. The hot water heater burst and my pipes flooded and the house is bad. I know that's happened to some of you fairly recently. I'm sorry for that illustration. Oh, the car broke down and we can't afford to have it fixed. So they laid me off of my job. I got to hunt another job. And we start acting like everyone else. Because we've got the here and now right in our sight and not enough of our fixation upon the things of eternity. We are a child of the king. We have beheld the light. We have been delivered from darkness into light. We have eternal life. We're going to inherit it all someday. In fact, we already have. We're just not getting it all right now. We should be the happiest, smilingest, carefreest people in the whole world. Yeah, yeah. And when somebody walks in that door, any Sunday, they ought to be just almost knocked over by the joy in this room, even if they're sitting in your chair. (laughs) Even if the offering plate passes by and they don't put anything in it. Even when they're sitting back there and the preacher says something that they're going, well, that's crazy. You know, whatever they bring in the house ought to be converted because the light of God would make manifest unto them the joy of the people of God. That's what Isaiah is writing about. He wants the people to both perceive and to participate in the reality that may not be apparent in the physical things of this world, but it is nevertheless so true that it almost makes us blind to the realities of this world. The other day, about two weeks ago, before winter came and visited us, I played golf. And I lost. It was cloudy, dark, dark day. But because of Gary's big smile... I could hardly be down because he was so happy to beat me. He said, I'll never hear about that in a sermon. See? <laughs> it happens occasionally. You win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that way in life, too. Sometimes we get earthly victories, and they're sweet. They're sweet. I expect to have a sweet victory tonight at 7. But I heard on the radio something that is just like America the other day, and I just have to share it. I'm sorry for the football story. I don't take up much of my time. But some of these guys who know all about football probably never, ever played, but they get to talk for four or five hours about it on the radio. And so they're talking about what's happened. And one guy says, well, if the Cowboys lose to the Detroit Lions, it's all gone. It's a bad season. The other guy says, uh, aren't you the one saying they were going to have four, be four and 12 this year? Yes. Well, they're 12 and 4. How can that be a bad season? Because it didn't end well, my expectations have changed. (laughs) You mean, I used to think if I made $50,000 a year, I'd be a wealthy man. I'd never need to make any more money. I was very young. (laughs) Thank God I made a little bit more than that. 
perception changes. And we are the people who should be setting the expectations of people by the way we perceive God in the midst of everything. When I'm praying for you, awake or asleep in the hospital, if you're not conscious yet, I'm praying for a better day because surgery is no fun. If you don't believe it, Russ will be able to testify about it when he gets back. It was very disturbing to him that he wasn't getting well as fast as he thought. It was disturbing to all of us. Things have changed a little, I think. The last word I had, are we still going up? Okay, the meter's going the right direction. We've been praying for that, praying for his patience and praying for God's healing touch to be manifest so that it could be seen in his body and encourage him for the rest of his restoration and health. That's what we pray for every instance in your life whenever you're struggling. We're not always just praying that the struggle goes away. We pray that we wished it could. But in the meantime, we're praying for your strength. We're praying for your focus. We're praying that you will stand up and be counted as a child of God and not as a child simply of this earth. We are kingdom livers in heaven And that's a lot better than being a kingdom liver, even in the state of Texas. And that's as good as it gets here. We know that. So on this day, the Lord was shining his light in the midst of the darkness that they might see in this epiphany, if you will, that light had come, that God would restore Jerusalem. And then we fast forward more years and Jesus shows up. And we fast forward about 33 years and we finally get it that Jesus was the true son of God, that he came to bring light to the earth and light to our lives, that he came to save us from our sins, that he came so that we might understand what God looks like in the flesh, so that we might understand what the ideal is. Now, I know most of you can't reach the ideal. A few of us are getting there. Don't lose me. Don't lose me. You should have been laughing. We've all got a big ideal out there. We're all reaching toward it and we're always short, right? And it's like a carrot in front of your nose. The better you live, the better you know you need to live. That's what Paul was talking about in many of his letters. That's what we strive for. But the realities of the present day should be like dust in our wake. We should just destroy them as we're living day to day, even on the worst days we can imagine. And some days, let's let's be clear, They're pretty dark for us individually, even for us as a body of Christ. We live in days that are pretty dark for the church. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hearing about how the church isn't the answer. I'm tired about hearing the church is not really being like Christ. If the Christians at that church would just act like Jesus, then, you know, I might go back to church. Well, I want to take away that person's excuses. I want the church to be as fully as possible together a reflection of the love of God that is shown in our lives by the presence of Christ and our forgiveness, our relationship to him. I want it to be so bright collectively that it just bursts out over all our shortcomings so that when people come into our midst, we don't have to ask them to join the church. They'll be asking, where do I sign up? How do I become? In fact, they said that in this vision that Isaiah gave. The nations are going to come to you. Well, you've been thinking all along that I've been only emphasizing probably the last year or so, going out and finding people. And I've talked about that a lot. But in reality, I would rather have it the other way. I would rather us behave so much like Jesus that we have to get another service planned soon. 
I'd rather for us to be so filled with grace, so filled with the love of God, that when people see us at work, when they see us at play, when they drive by the street and they see our messages on the sign, when they look out over this 30 acres that we have in the middle of Carrollton, actually the north part of Carrollton, that they look at that 30 acres and they see, look what God is doing over there. Look at that. Look at those. Look at those people. Look how different they are. Look how everybody is smiling. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? We have so many pieces in place right here and right now that we, we can be a reflector for God. We can be those people that when the light of Christ shines upon us and in us, that it's reflected back to others. We can be better than we are. And the church of Jesus Christ in these United States needs to be all that Christ has called them to be because we live in dark times. We need more light. We need more people to reflect this love of Christ more clearly. I think the hardest thing for us to do is what would that new epiphany look like? You know, we get used to being Christians. I got used to being Clay Miller's son. I knew what that meant. Do what you're told. Keep the rules. Work hard. And I'll pat you on the head occasionally. That was my daddy. I'll always be there and I'll always love you. He always was until he went to be with Jesus. He was always there. I knew what it meant to be his child. We, I think, have a feeling that we know what it means to be the child of Jesus. But does it escape what we know so that it becomes reality? You see, if we just know it and we just hold on to it, then we're going to be like much of the mainstream Christian churches in America today. If they'll just come here, we'll give it to them. You know, if we acted more like we already have it, they might want to come to it. If they saw it on Monday through Friday, if they saw it on Saturday in our neighborhoods, if they saw it in activities that we were doing in the church that were visible, not behind closed doors, if they walked in and felt a presence of truly amazing love and grace that was just relaxed, People say, you know, you make a lot of mistakes as preacher. I say, yeah, I know. It's bad. My wife tells me about it all the time. She used to tell me about my English things that were wrong. And she got delivered from that, thank God. <laughs> I explained to her that oral language is not as good as written language, and I don't write everything down. And she said, yeah, that's what worries me. I said, I'm praying for you. And she said, I've been praying for you forever, and look what I've got. You know? The reality is that we need to be so transparent and so honest that that in us which we would not want others to see becomes readily seen by our brothers and sisters in Christ so they can help us get rid of it so that nobody would ever walk into this congregation and walk out leaving, having understood us, and said, that's a judgmental group. That's a favorite criticism of the world today, and especially young adults. You Christians are also judgmental. But we have to make judgments about things that are right in the world. Don't get me wrong, but I think we need to be more like Jesus when we do that. Jesus was gentle with the people who were sinning. In fact, the only people that Jesus was really ever harsh with were the church people. Whoa. That's a scary thought, isn't it, James? Scary thought. It is. Because we're those. We're those. So, 
We want people to see God in Christ. We need to be asking ourselves and perceiving for ourselves, who is this Jesus? Where is Jesus working in this community of Carrollton? If Jesus were here, what would the character of Jesus say to the people that Jesus met? And am I reflecting that same character? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, I've been talking about it for so long. I'm kind of tired of the subject. I'm going to start preaching about other stuff. Just kind of let you know. I haven't forgotten the topic of the last year. Now we're going to see if we can do something about it. You've been wondering what we're going to do about it. Cindy and I have been talking about this. She's talked it over with a few other people, and I prayerfully considered it as we had talked about this past week some. And So what we're going to do this Sunday is the first Sunday of the year, we're declaring a season of prayer a season of prayer for the people of this congregation. The season of prayer is going to last until Easter morning when it bursts forth into full expression. It's going to have probably three phases or movements in this season of prayer. It's going to be experienced in Sunday school classes and small group studies. It's going to be experienced in the prayer room as people come to pray. It's going to be experienced at the chancel rail as we come and seek God's face. Because you see, until we really seek God's face about what Jesus wants to do through us, we'll keep functioning basically the same way we've always functioned. And that may be all that Jesus wants. We'll let you know on Easter. After we've prayed about it for three months and sought God's face to say, we want to perceive what it is you want to do with us. Are we all that you want us to be right now as we are in this place? If not, who are you calling us to be? Discipleship, discipleship groups, they all have an opportunity. I'm going to suggest you buy a book. It's not an expensive book. It's not even a long book. It's called Extreme Prayer. It's written by Greg Pruitt. Greg Pruitt will be our mission speaker in, the, in the, those last Sundays of February. And he will be bringing us a message. But he wrote this book, Extreme Prayer, and you need to read it. I've been reading it myself. And then throughout this book, he emphasizes certain things that are important for the church of Jesus Christ. And one of the things he emphasizes is that we have to be persistent in our prayer. That's why I said three, three months, basically, as our time of season of prayer. There'll be more instruction that'll come along about this, but just write it down, Extreme Prayer by Greg Pruitt. The church will be buying some and making those copies available here. We hope that some Sunday school classes will take it or read it as a devotional, go along with their, what they're studying. We're hoping some small discipleship tries triads and quads might use it. Anybody wants to do it on their own, it's just well done that way. Because you see, we're going to believe and act upon what Jesus teaches us. It says that prayer advances the plans of Jesus for the earth because it reflects, once it's been prayed upon thoroughly enough, the character of Jesus. I do not believe, and I will never believe as long as I walk on this earth, that when people so understand Jesus and are so committed in prayer to following him and are so converted to thinking like Jesus and acting like Jesus, I cannot believe that any group of people who dare to take on that blessing of trying to follow Jesus can do anything but be faithful in God's sight. I do not believe they can do that without the world seeing the joy in their faces and their lives and coming to that joy. I do not believe that it's possible to walk like Jesus, with Jesus, with the spirit of Jesus, trying to do what Jesus has called us to do with him and miss it. I don't believe it's possible. 
And you say, well, let us show you. No. No. You're not going to show me that. I don't believe it. I believe that when we pray together for three months, we're going to come together with some discernment. And we're going to be able to perceive what it is that God is doing in our midst. How would Jesus change our youth ministries, our children's ministries, our adult ministries? What does Jesus have in mind for the youth group that meets on Sunday night? Is it called truth? I should know that. The idea is, man, I'd hate to have missed that one. That would have been bad. What would it mean for our Christian daycare to be certain that everything they did was a reflecting of the character of Jesus? What would it mean in our preschool where little kids are getting ready to go out, many of them either into CCA school or another school like it or into public school, to really be fixated upon the character of Jesus and adopt the joy that comes in living a life in God's presence? What would that look like? What would it look like at CCA? What would it look like if everything they did was touched by God and they knew everything they were attempting to do was blessed by God? What does CCA want? What does, we know what CCA wants from God. We want more students, right? The question is not that. The question is, what does God want for CCA? What does God want for all our ministries? It's possible we might be beating our heads against the wall in some places. I've been to occasionally a Sunday school class, and after I walked out, it was impressed upon me that one thing was certainly true, that God was calling this class (laughs) to disassemble. (laughs) Why not laugh? I mean, sometimes we get together, and we become so tightly drawn together in our little groups that we call Sunday school class, other people call cliques, that we're just not fit for anybody else to get in it. I don't know where Jesus is laughing or crying, but I know he's not happy with either way. You see what I'm saying? Well, it's not just Sunday school classes. It can even be that way in worship. When's the last time you left your group to go sit by somebody else in worship? Now I'm really meddling and we're about to take communion. I know that. I know that. I know that. I don't mind meddling in your life. That's what you contribute to my welfare for, so that I will meddle in your life. Not only do we need to perceive what God is doing, we need to, through prayer, make up our minds to find our joy in the same way that Jesus found his. We need to find our joy. You know, then the last part of that question, the three-point question is going to be, after we've explored the character of Jesus and after we've explored our ministry to perceive what God wants to do in us and through us, then finally, on those last weeks of Lent, I want us to pray about a simple thing. How is God calling me to participate in what God is doing in this church? Our task is huge. It takes more than 20% of us to do it. It takes all of us. I want you to be praying about that. We're going to design different ways, different times when you can participate. Cindy implemented it yesterday. She and Lauren took a prayer walk through the church and through the school, praying about God's will for our ministries. That's a good place to start. And the physical facility so we can bathe them in prayer. But it's not the only place to start. I want you to perceive God's gift as you reflect on his character. I want you to be so filled with a view of you that God has of you, that you understand how precious you are. I want you to understand 
that God's love has no boundaries to reach out to you and to take you farther in your walk of faith. No boundaries, no obstacles. God will take you as far as you're willing to participate with God in the grace that he's offered you. God, I want you also to understand that God feels the same way about every human in Carrollton. About every human in the world. Those that are acting better than others, he has the same love for them as he does for the ones that are, you can hardly see him in them. That's hard for us to believe. But when you pray long enough, you're going to perceive just that. That knowledge alone can transform us into the light of joy and grace that is so infectious that it would be hard to believe that anybody but the worst of sinners could walk in and not want to stay with us. It would also be hard to believe that the worst of sinners could walk in here and receive anything except a full welcome and graceful love from every person in this congregation. It would be so powerful when they experienced it through worship that draws us together in such beautiful ways that when they walk out, they would say, wow, I've been in the presence of God, surrounded by the people of God who are focused on what God is calling them to do in Jesus Christ, his son. I'm through. I'm tired too, kind of. You know, when you have a sermon that you feel like is going to be a carryover, it always kind of weighs you down a little bit. I'm a little weighed down. Cindy, Chiv, I'm a little weighed down for the burden of it. But as I get weighed down with it, the joy comes. This is what God has called me to do. God does not fail. God's people do not fail. When they give themselves to God, God so empowers them that they are ready and willing to come to the table of grace. That it's so arriving there, they can experience fully what it means to be a follower of Christ. 